Cool. Hey, Carrie. Hey, how are you? <laughs> Good. So this is take two, um, and we're going to go over uh, one of the problems that you were working on at MailChimp, um, kind of focused on execution. And I wanted to, uh, before we get started, just set the stage a little bit. Um, most people are probably familiar with MailChimp if you work in tech. Um, I've used the product minimally, but certainly was introduced to it through some of those uh, serial podcast advertisements back in the day, uh, which seems like a lifetime ago. Um, but just some quick background, company was founded in 2001, began as an email marketing platform. Um, over the next 20 years, grew rapidly, uh, was eventually sold to Intuit for reportedly uh, $12 billion um, and uh, is now more of an all-in-one marketing platform and kind of looking at other growth opportunities internationally, but seems like still focused on small and medium-sized businesses and performing all of their marketing needs and email marketing, uh, as I understand it, is still the cash cow business. Um, but you were inside of this company, as, or you still are inside of this company, um, but previously as a growth PM. Um, and as we were chatting, uh, it became clear that this particular project that you were working on in terms of the email editor um, is a pretty fascinating one um, and wanted to talk about it today. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I will say I'm hopeful that this conversation is just um, fun to hear. I feel like there are lots of resources online about thinking about structuring a company or potentially structuring a big product launch, um, but it's rarer to hear kind of the um, nitty gritty of what it feels like um, getting started and then actually executing and having some amount of retrospective on how it went. Um, so this conversation isn't meant to be any one big idea or takeaway, but um, it's hopefully interesting to hear kind of all of the decisions that go into a major um, product launch at a large company. Cool. So maybe let's start with um, where did the idea come from uh, to work on this or what was the inspiration? Um, what were you starting to observe within the organization that led you to think this was the right project for you to be working on? Yeah, sure. So um, the project we're talking about is a new email editor. Um, so the context you just laid out is exactly right, um, which was MailChimp was leading the market with um, their email marketing tool, um, which users spent a long time in the email builder where they actually designed their email before sending it out to their audience. Um, so when I joined the company in 2019, um, that email builder had served us well for many years and had gotten us to that market leader position, um, but cracks were starting to show. Um, so um, a couple smaller organizational things and then um, one larger business-wide um, thing um, kind of pointed to um, building a new email editor. So some of the organizational dynamics were that um, it was built on a pretty outdated tech stack and um, most of the engineers, especially new ones we hired, weren't familiar with the email editor. Um, it on For on-call rotations, it frequently broke and was really hard to maintain and it was really hard to ship new features for. 
we were also seeing, we ask users why they left MailChimp, and we were starting to see not a huge number, but I'd say a growing number of users saying that they were disappointed in the look and the feel of the product and that they were expecting something more modern. And then I'd say the biggest argument in favor of building a new email editor was about the business aspirations. So um, MailChimp had started out as just an email marketing point solution. And now, um, just like many um, marketing tech companies, was trying to become an all-in-one marketing platform. Um, Our email editor was a big blocker for our ability to do so because um, for an all-in-one marketing platform, you expect that you um, create your content for one channel and then the platform helps you adjust it um, and optimize it for other channels and helps you understand your marketing performance across all channels. However, because the email editor was built so disjointedly from our other newer channels, um, that conversion between channels was impossible. And looking at that was probably the clearest indicator that um, if we stayed with the email editor as it was, it'd be really hard to realize those all-in-one marketing platform aspirations. And it's probably important to understand here um, the scale that you're operating under. Um, this email under this email editor, excuse me, uh, is something that tens of billions of emails are being authored through. Correct? Absolutely. Um, on our busiest periods, it'd be high billions per day, um, and you know we have um, millions of paying users. And um, at the time, this was 2019. Our publicly released um, revenue numbers were um, in the 700 millions um, for ARR. And who else was thinking about this besides you? Yeah, sure. Um, I'd say everyone. All of the leaders at the company, this was in maybe their top five concerns, but it wasn't really in anyone's top, like their number one concern, which is a very dangerous place for any um, like important topic at any company. Um, one group of very senior engineers did do um, a spike doc where they looked at what would it take to move every MailChimp user from the old email editor to a new one at once. And the estimate they gave was two to three years for this project. So that document was pretty widely circulated. And um, I think kind of disappointing or bad news in that every um, department leader was like, oh gosh, that is such a huge investment. It's really risky. We would rather prioritize more medium-sized projects um, that deliver um, value incrementally instead of committing to this huge project and not getting any results or any way of knowing if it was working um, until two to three years out. Yeah, so you have a key insight here, which is this is a top five probably priority for the company. Other things keep getting prioritized higher. Uh, Some engineers uh, who are, sounds like fairly senior in the company, have taken a look at this and say, you know what, it's going to take two to three years to be able to move all of our users here. And you have a key insight, which is, well, what if we approach this in a different way where we don't assume that we have to move everyone at once? Can you talk about where that insight came from? Yeah, sure. Um, 
I think um, I had started out at MailChimp as a growth PM. And um, before that, my career started in marketing. And I've observed it's always the case that no one wants to do something until everyone else is doing it. Um, And so the less... um, the smarter you can be about kind of cold start problems, um, the better, because then um, getting the um, like next 20% of users on is easier. And then the 20% after that is going to be easier yet. It's just a matter of how do you get started? Um, So yeah, I knew that as scoped, the two to three years was probably dead in the water um, as a project. But I was like, what happens um, if um, we, instead of trying to replicate all of the functionality that existed in the email editor, which is necessary to move all users over, what if we just took the users who um, were pretty basic, only used the very common editing functions, such as text and headlines and buttons and images? Um, what if we went ahead and um, gave them that capability and started getting users onto it, on onto a new email editor? The nice thing there is all of the support functions around a new product can start to get in place, by which I mean other teams can start figuring out how to build their features for the new email editor. Our support team gets much better at troubleshooting issues within the new editor. And then MailChimp just has a ginormous footprint um, on the internet. Like there's tons of tutorials and um, walkthroughs and videos um, by third-party content creators about using MailChimp. And if we went ahead and got something out in market, they could start making content to help onboard um, the, um, their audiences to this new email editor. So you're thinking a lot about not just internal momentum, but also external momentum and how to leverage that to, to get this project going. What did it actually take to kick it off? Yeah, sure. So I got the permission, um, which I love doing, uh, um, for my managers um, at across many companies, it's kind of been, okay, what's a big gnarly company problem that I can spend maybe five or 10% of my time poking at and no guarantees, but maybe I'll find something interesting. Um, So I took that approach here, which is, um, I was an IC growth PM. Um, I didn't have any business doing this big foundational piece of work for the company, but I was like, maybe I can get started or um, help situate the company um, better to actually tackle it. Um, So what I did was um, in order to be able to ship this email editor in, in, incremental like segment by segment way to users my assumption was that there were some users who were using a much smaller subset of features so the big first step was actually validating that Um, so i partnered with a product analyst and we looked at the data for um i think it was a hundred thousand past emails and we were able to identify that um, indeed users who um, there were plenty of users who just did um, a pretty basic set of functionality um, and 
Um, something else that isn't necessarily surprising, but was really useful to observe, is that these users far and away were free users. Um, they hadn't signed up for one of MailChimp's monthly plans. And um, this was mostly nice in that I knew if we moved them over, we wouldn't be jeopardizing existing MailChimp revenue. So in terms of this new editor, where did you draw the line or how did you think about where to draw the line in terms of what features would be in um, this, let's say, first phase? Yeah, I wish it had been very hard and fast. Like, I think ideally what would have happened is we would have seen charts of um, usage of different features and there would be a clear clustering around very popular features and we would just ship all of those and then very uncommon features that were used by maybe 10 or 5% of users and we would definitely not ship those. Um, that I that distinct clustering would be my ideal, but instead we saw maybe more what you would expect of um, features that were used in 99% of emails and then um, slowly sloping down all the way to only in 1% of campaigns. So it was quite, there wasn't one clear delineation of where to draw the line of what to ship in a first release or not. Um, the approach I took was um, I wanted not just to be like, okay, this is most of an email editor. Um, and I instead wanted to be really true to, hey, could a user pop in and feel like, okay, this is a streamlined editor, but I can do everything I need to. And um, a lot of the um, ad hoc decisions we made around what to actually include and what not to include was, can a user solve this problem pretty easily in another way? Um, so just to make this concrete, um, dividers exist in emails um, as, or just documents period as a way to separate different um, chunks of the document. And MailChimp in the existing editor had like eight different variations of dots and dashes for these dividers. Um, a stance our team took was we definitely know we need to ship dividers because those are really important in signaling the content of your marketing email, but we definitely don't need to ship all eight types. And in fact, I think we ended up, our first set was um, shipping with just a solid line and then a dashed line um, so that users had some control and could fulfill the overall intent, but couldn't customize um, as much as they were used to. And this, all of those decisions were fairly challenging, um, but the thing we were fighting against with every um, new feature, you know, that adds maybe a few hours of inch time or a few days. And as those things, as those customization options start stacking up, then you get pushed from maybe a few months of development time into closer to looking like the two to three year um, originally quoted development time for the like moving all users over at once approach. And so I knew that the benefits we would get from being in market earlier um, those benefits were likely to be worth it relative to the pain of having slightly fewer customization options. And what about other people's pain? Um, I'm sure there were people internally that uh, maybe didn't understand this initiative right away or even disagreed with your approach. Um, can you talk about other folks that you had to 
um, appease or please um, and how you went about that? Yeah, sure. Um, I thought carefully about stakeholder management um, for this project just because it touches on so many different parts of MailChimp. It's hard to think of a single team that would be totally unaffected by um, fundamental changes to our foundational product. Um, I Some disciplines I knew would be our natural allies, like engineering I mentioned was really keen to um, ship a new editor and lower the necessity of maintaining the existing editor. Design was also thrilled at the idea of finally getting to try out a lot of um, new UI patterns and just make it more visually cohesive with the rest of MailChimp's new products. Um, but we did have other disciplines that were going to be less enthused by this. Um, so I'd say um, two big ones that came to mind are um, strategy slash finance and um, support. Um, so for strategy slash finance, um, their big thing is, okay, how we're projecting revenue numbers and conversion rates. Um, this new project is um, super... Um, uncertain and untested, and we kind of have no idea what to expect. Um, so I spent a long time with them um, just analyzing behavior of our existing users. It helped that um, my initial group that I proposed shipping for was mostly free users. And the key number there was after their first, say, 30 days on MailChimp, um, if they're a free user, how likely are those users then to convert to paid later? Um, and it's much lower after 30 days than in the first 30 days, as you can probably imagine. Um, so we were able to say, okay, um, as an absolute like floor, like here is the like lowest possible amount um, that we could stand to lose based on um, if none of these free users then converted to paid after moving on to the new editor. And we looked at that like worst case scenario number and we said, hey, this actually feels pretty justified relative to even a conservative forecast of how much this new editor could stand to bring in because it's not just minimizing loss from, uh-oh, what if users churn because they don't like the new editor? Um, but we also have to think of how additive it can be, which is that more users will sign up for MailChimp because they find the new editor appealing. Um, they'll be more likely to stick around and they'll also hopefully be more likely to um, upgrade to paid accounts um, so that they can use more of the platform functionality. Um, so really working with them to quantify the numbers and um, understand the trade-offs and also paint that broader picture of what was possible instead of just fixating on the worst case scenario, I think was really helpful for strategy slash finance. And I'd say that's something product teams sometimes stumble on where um, the product manager's head is only in the positive possibilities and then strategy slash finance is only looking at the worst case scenario and um, there's not enough talking about, um, hey, how do we um, marry these two concepts? Then if I think about support, which was the other um, discipline that was going to be um, most affected by this change, um, 
I have worked previously in operationally intensive companies and just know the pain of when you ship a new product and um, you're doing either live calls or email responses or chats, it can be really overwhelming if there are spikes in um, demand for support. And that's such a terrible experience for anyone um, working in support at the time. It's stressful to not have the answers and it's stressful to know that you're keeping a lot of customers um, waiting to be able to talk to you. Um, I'd say the um, we did all the standard things, meaning um, spend a long time with support at the beginning to inform discovery for this project and thinking about, hey, what features in the existing email editor caused the most confusion and what do we need to make sure to get really right in the new editor? We also spent a lot of time training on the new editor as we were building it. Um, and then I'd say the last thing um, I did that was um, maybe more novel is I'd say most projects when they're um, when a, there's a big launch um, get rolled out in like some timeline like we roll out to five percent of users in the morning and then ten percent in the afternoon or whatever and we definitely did this for this email editor project but I also um, voluntarily proposed um, a rollback schedule where I worked with support leadership to say, okay, how many tickets do you get on a normal day um, and at different peak times throughout that day? And how much extra capacity can you handle? Like, can you handle an incremental 100 um, additional tickets per hour or a thousand incremental tickets per hour? Like, what's that threshold? And then I pledged to them, if we hit X threshold of incremental tickets generated by this new email editor, we will pause on rolling out any further. And then if we go any past that, um, where we're generating too many incremental tickets for your team to comfortably keep up with, um, then we'll roll back this editor. And I think um, having us voluntarily propose that really reassured the team that we were taking this quite seriously. And again, instead of the um, product anti-pattern of saying, you know, it's going to be great and we have a couple help docs for you um, and it's um, totally just going to be fine on its own. Um, so I think yeah, spending quite a lot of time with these teams was really useful for helping this project um, be successful instead of just getting sign off and then having them be antsy or wary about it um, the whole time. So how did the rollout go and what did you learn as um, actual users in production were using the new email editor? Yeah, sure. So um, we, from the time we did that initial data analysis to the time we had it out in market as a beta product um, to our first million users, that time period was about eight months. Um, and upon shipping it, um, let's see, a couple interesting things we noted. So um, one is we were super curious about the reaction between um, existing users and new users. And we found that, as you might expect, um, new users really liked this new email editor. Um, and if I pause quickly, um, 
one nuance here is that if you're a totally new email, if you're a totally new user to MailChimp and you sign up, you have no idea that this is the new email editor. Like all you're seeing is that this is an editor period. Um, And we spent a long time um, on the like building of this project, thinking about how users can opt in or out of the editor experience. Um, So for our newest users, um, we just did this basically as um, an experiment where some new users got this editor and some um, new users got the previous MailChimp editor. And then we compared metrics, um, the two of which were most important were CSAC customer satisfaction, how they felt about this product and MailChimp as a whole, and then task completion rate, um, meaning how many users actually um, sent their first email. Um, So for new users, we saw that on the new editor, they were um, more likely to be um, satisfied with it, and they were um, noticeably more likely to actually send their first email. So all of that was really positive. We did also see that um, I mentioned support volume was quite important to us. And something interesting was that we saw that new users actually filed fewer support tickets when they were put into the new email editor than into the old email editor. Um, This was maybe a little surprising in that so much of MailChimp's help documentation and so much of third-party resources on the internet are really geared towards the old editor and don't even mention this new editor. Um, But on the flip side, we had worked with support to understand what was the most challenging parts of the old editor and um, being able to... um, proactively address those. Um, I think that was the reason that even though we had less um, documentation, new users found the new editor easier to use and less likely um, they were less likely to have to ask for help than in the old editor that had been in market for like a decade. Um, So that was pretty cool. That's Um, That's a pretty telling anecdote that user experience can go such a long way in terms of uh, making it uh, less likely that folks are going to get confused and have those problems in the first place. Um, it really harkens back to your uh, statement earlier about how oftentimes help docs are just dropped in the laps of support folks from product folks, and then they need to kind of fend from themselves from there. Yeah, um, absolutely. One thing that is usually a little bit scary um, to you know folks on the technical side, folks in leadership, is this, or even folks in support, as you mentioned, is this idea that two things are going to be living in market now uh, simultaneously, um, and users are going to have to make that choice. Uh, You're going to have to support both as a business from the technical standpoint. Uh, Where are things now, and um, how do you you see kind of the future of these two different editors um, in the long term? Yep. Um, So what's happening now is that um, they both editors exist and there's a lot of um, tooling in the product to help users understand which version of the editor they're in and um, if they want to switch to the other, um, we make it quite easy to do so from a lot of different points in your account. Um, The overall future 
the ultimate state is that every customer should be really happy to use the new email editor. Um, and in order to get there, um, there's still all of that functionality that exists in the old editor um, that um, teams at MailChimp are working on building into the new one. So something interesting to say is that when those very senior engineers at MailChimp quoted two to three years, like we're actually on a time frame that isn't so dissimilar because it just takes a long time to ship all of those features. I think the big difference is that it's not two to three years of nothing in market and no customer feedback. And instead, it's customers are already really benefiting from the new product. Um, and the company is making decisions and other products are being built um, with a lot of access to the new editor. Um, so that feels like a huge different experience, difference experientially, even if timelines wise, it actually looks kind of similar. Looking back on this project, what are you most proud of? And is there anything that you wish you would have done differently? Yeah. Um, I'd say if I think about the done differently, um, I'll start with that first. Um, I'd say we had really crystal clear um, launch groups initially, which were those free users. Um, and that we're doing more basic functions. And we know these tend to map to users who um, are working at newer businesses um, and they're newer to marketing. Um, that group was crystal clear, but then um, for like, we're now in the messy middle of this project where it's like, there are lots of other groups we want to onboard onto the new editor. Um, we've done all the like, basic must-have um, editing features and now are making a million decisions about what else to build. Um, all of that's kind of messy. And as I'm talking, I'm not sure how realistic it is to have a totally clear um, like sequencing there. I think a principle generally is really fight for simplicity um, and even probably over nuance like if you can get um all of the company to understand like here are the four phases that we're shipping to users in um that's probably worth it even though you're trading off nuance and edge cases when i'd say right now it's probably closer to like over a dozen like different personas and like sequences of like when we have x set of features in the editor then we can release to these um users um so just um clarity and simplicity of launch sequencing especially if you have an initial launch and then many other launches after that if Amazing. i yeah if i think about what i'm um proudest of i think um it's the fact that um this project I think I showed a lot of initiative here and my team, like no one else was stepping up to the plate, but it was so important. Um, and being able to validate um, that you can be really smart about scoping and you can get something out and um, seeing how much better it was having that product out in market earlier. Um, all of that felt really good. 
I guess um, one other thing I wanted to be sure to touch on is um, I was really cognizant for the initial eight months of building um, when we just had a huge list of features that um, we had to get in that first launch. I knew it was it would be kind of demotivating for teams to um, just have to you know chug through dozens of features with no end in sight. Um, so I ran these weekly design labs um, that were pretty popular, um, where each week a member of the team would grab an email that they had received in their own inboxes sent by MailChimp. And as a team, we would pull it up and go into the new email editor and see how much of it we could build. Um and sometimes that was the best way of validating like, hey, we just did many sprints of work on images and now look how easy it was to get all of these images into our newsletter. And then other times it alerted our attention to, um, for instance, we initially were going to ship without a duplicate button, which is making a copy of one of the elements in your email to reuse elsewhere. And we were like, it's fine. People can just um, redo or copy and paste. Um, and then we saw a bunch of emails had repeated elements and um, it was so kludgy in those design labs having to um, like manually replicate um, those elements. And based on that, the team was like, it's going to be such a huge quality of life improvement to ship that duplicate button initially. Um, so all of that, like, um, making the thing that I liked about that is if you make it really tangible for your team, like what it feels like when your product is and isn't working um, to the point where they can or cannot replicate an email that they have received. That's a lot better than saying, Oh, abstractly, we know there are some users like this. And do we think that they would um, be able to use the email editor or not? Like making um, the team discover for ourselves whether we'd be happy using it or not, I think um, was really motivating um, psychologically. It sounds like it's a great way to make pain more tangible for all the folks that are working on this product. Yes. Um, and especially given the fact that earlier one of your pieces of the framework for choosing what you would ship and what you might not, or at least kind of that initial framework was based on whether you could do it. Um, but it sounds like this is a really great way to introduce not just can you technically do something, um, but if you can, how easy is it? And make that kind of top of mind for folks. Absolutely. Well, cool, Carrie. Um, so I think one of the things that's really cool about this is that uh, getting an understanding of not just what you did um, when faced with a project like this, but also the types of things that you were thinking about and how you approached it. Um, and I think if anything, it goes to show that if there's a project that someone is staring at right now in their company and it says that it might take two, three, maybe even 10 years, that there's usually some sort of way that you can reframe the problem, um, figure out where the value is, um, any last words of advice to someone who might be uh, daunted by something like this within their company? Um, yeah. Okay. Let me think about this. I'd say a couple things come to mind, um, which are, um, I guess, maybe three pieces of advice here. One is if you're thinking about whether it's worth it to take this on, because every company has 
two to three year projects that are absolutely not worth it relative to what else those teams could be building. Um, I'd say if you zoom out and think at a company level, what are the company aspirations and could the company achieve um, those aspirations even if we didn't do this project? I think that's probably a helpful gut check. And also if if you strongly believe that the answer is the company has to do this project in order to be able to meet its overall goals, um, that's a really powerful framing to then bring into um, meetings with um, other stakeholders whose timeframes tend to be much shorter. Like they're thinking normally on the level of what wins can we deliver this quarter? What impact can we show over the next few months? So really having that framing and that backing is helpful for um, these kinds of huge sprawling projects. I'd say another um, one is to really think carefully about your stakeholders and in what ways they can help. Um, Any project that's this magnitude, you're going to need a lot of people in the company who are really enthusiastic about it. Um, If it's just the product team, um, you're not going to have the momentum and just the help within the company that you need um, to be able to ship it. And then maybe my last piece of advice is, like really clearly um, outlining the phases of the project. Um, For instance, I called out um, in our initial eight months of building, I'd say the first six months, I was really transparent about, uh, we think this is smart, but we really don't know. um, And it's possible we'll still be making fairly big adjustments. Um, Whereas in the final two months before launch, it was like, okay, we're pretty dialed in. We've done a lot of usability tests on this. We've done a lot of internal testing. And certainly there's a lot to think about and, you know, um, product quality issues to address. Um, But signaling to the team and to my stakeholders when we're like pretty dang sure versus when we're still fairly uncertain and that there's going to be some adjustments and, you know, not to feel whiplash from that. Um, I think that's really helpful for um, just acknowledging that huge projects go through very different phases. And if you call them out, people feel better that things are happening as they should, um, even if um, you are surprised from time to time. Fantastic. Well, a lot of really great insights here. Um, So hopefully this is something that folks can Um, take into their organization, um, use if they're being faced with some sprawling projects. Um, I certainly learned a lot. I hope that others will too. Awesome. Thanks for talking to me about this. See you, Dylan. Absolutely.